0: There's an element of sick fascination in seeing an elite sportsperson screw up. A calamitous own goal, a senseless red card, a faceplant of a celebration all serve to prove they're human after all. It's no wonder Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes and subsequent sequels prove so popular. Thank you for joining us today for a celebration of these glorious and sometimes downright inexplicable moments. Have you ever scored an own goal, Ben?
1: Uh, Arthur, I have actually. I've scored oh. an own goal in five side before, and it, it was a cause of great embarrassment. I had ruby cheeks, um, but I, I've been very much looking forward to this. I'm actually amazed that it's taken us nearly forty episodes to get to the own goals in gaffes eleven. Um, it feels like a natural choice for the eleven, And and I was a Rory McGrath fan myself. That was my kind of era of own goals and gaffes. I don't know about you.
0: I never really watched it. I think I sort of, as soon as YouTube caught on and probably the sort of 2010s, the early 2010s, I started watching these videos and just found them hilarious. The the, mm. the kind of rubbish that happens on a football pitch. You know, you see compilations of iconic goals through time. But really, I think own goals and gaffes are much much better um today we're employing a 5-3-2 formation so we're quite heavy at the back probably with good reason because those are the players who really do screw up more than most
1: a hundred percent and do get in touch anyone who's scored a particularly impressive own goal got a ridiculous red card missed a sitter we'd love to hear from you at 11 pod that's the word and not the number who should be in our 11 We would start with the goalkeeper, an obvious choice for the own goals and gaffes, 11, of course. But it is our position, which is up for grabs, the 11th man. And so we have nominations in from listeners head over to Twitter after this episode releases. And you can pick the goalkeeper a little bit more on that later. Let's skip to left back, Arthur.
0: Yes, it's Kieran Gibbs.
1: Oh, of course it is. That wasn't who I was expecting, actually. But I'm delighted he's in.
0: Yeah, I just, I just felt like we wanted to stretch the definition of gaffes. And actually, in picking mm. the player, it should really be Andre Mariner who's selected yeah, in I this know one. What's coming now. Yeah, March 2013. Uh, Arsenal were two 0 down to Chelsea after just seven minutes. Uh, Eden Hazard's shot was headed towards the goal and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain dived, um, but his head was going to get nowhere near it. So he stretched out an arm. Um, It's one of those clear penalty and red cards in the days of pre-double jeopardy. Um, The only problem was that Andre Mariner misidentified Gibbs for (laughs) Oxlade-Chamberlain. A a pretty comical incident in itself. I mean, the attempt to make it look accidental just completely fails um it's sort of almost more obvious than Suarez's one do you remember it well then I do
1: remember this incident because I distinctly what remember watching this episode of match of the day and and I think it felt at the time it was like Arsenal had kind of just fallen off that cliff of being the most successful team in in England and and were starting to have their struggles and this felt like a very Arsenal incident Um, maybe amongst the kind of distinctive penalty miss that we had from Pires and Henri. This was kind of the modern Arsenal clangor that we love to take the mick out of.
0: Exactly. I mean, in all honesty, it probably benefited Arsenal versus Oxlade-Chamberlain getting sent off because mm. he was in probably the best period of form in his career, I'd say. Uh, and Arsenal were chasing the game 2-0 uh, down, obviously. But it was a horrific gaffe. Uh, and Arsenal did go on to lose it 6-0. And actually, I think at the time, they were Chelsea's closest title rivals, as you say. So, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great day all round. He did, Kieran Gibbs, have his own gaffe during Arsenal's FA Cup fourth round clash against Burnley. uh, Just as Francis Coquelin was going to uh, close down some space, Gibbs came darting out of the box. He slipped and took the Frenchman out with an accidental slide tackle. Um, I think Coquelin obviously had quite severe problems with injury throughout his career and he just returned from one of those injuries (laughs) and he fell to the ground in agony and needed to be checked up before returning to action. Burnley went on to actually score an equaliser in the same play and they brought the game to one all. And I think Arsenal fans postulated that Flamini had paid him to injure Coquelin because obviously those two were rivals for the midfield berth. Not a fantastic defender but he had earned a uh, 6.75 million pound move to West Brom when he left Arsenal he made 93 appearances for them and I think it says all you need to know about him that the only thing that Wikipedia says of his time there is Gibbs was sent off in a 5-2 loss to Everton after he slapped Colombian James Rodriguez in the face oh (laughs) no
1: another gaffe for Gibbsy
0: Um, Yeah, a player who
1: kind of flattered to deceive. He was the the deputy for Ashley Cole. And, you know, when you were talking about him there, I thought you might mention that he was an able candidate for the unfulfilled potential eleven. But um, (laughs) this is a rare occasion, Arthur, where you haven't stretched to that.
0: Well, I'd probably actually say that he over fulfilled his potential in the sense that he made 10 appearances for England, which does shock me, I have to say. He actually does still play. He's currently playing for David Beckham's franchise into Miami in the MLS. Oh, Um,
1: did he play there moment, you could Well, he does play there. So, uh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Love that. I was kind of half expecting a a Frank Quadru entry for his his shocking own goal for Nantes back in the day.
0: He's taken a firm position on the bench today for me. Uh, What a goal that was for Lens, I think. Was Was it Lens? Against Lens. (laughs)
1: Ah, okay. Fantastic. Love that. Brilliant. Left back, Kieran Gibbs. Um, And we have three centre backs, so lots of choice. Um, And I'm going to start off with Knut Anders Fosterbold. No.
0: (laughs) No, I have absolutely no idea who
1: that is. (laughs) No. Well, he he, he was a juggernaut, Arthur. Um, Oh, was he? Yeah, a six foot two Norwegian block of a defender. Um, he played the bulk of his football in his homeland, most notably for Molder FK, a team he captained between 1996 and 99. Um, and he was solid and versatile. He played in central midfield and also at left back as well as centre back throughout his career. And he was in the mix to be called up to Norway's 1998 World Cup squad. So he could have been known as a World Cup round of 16-er. That's not a phrase, it's one that I've made up now. <laughs> but instead, he is best known for a comical gaffe. Arguably, I would say, the worst dive of all time. Love so it. this came in a match for Mulder against Stabayek. And it is horrific, Arthur. I mean, it, unfortunately, we've, we've chosen the media of podcast audio i suppose for this but really you do have to see this one to believe it it's horrible um a halfway line spat between Fostervold and petter Martinson saw Fostervold's opposite number brush his face almost almost accidentally but a slap at the very very worst one of those light playground snap slaps you know the type <laughs> Um, But the supposedly ultra strong defender waited a good couple of seconds, turned to the ref, and then threw himself to the ground, elaborately clutching his face in an attempt to attract the referee's attention. It was insanely theatrical. Uh, In fact, Ben Wright from 442 described it as a brain fart delay of comic proportions. And it gained such notoriety in Norway that John Carew imitated this dive as a goal celebration some weeks after (laughs) having scored for Rosenberg. There could have been many entries to this 11 based on embarrassing dives. In fact, there was a very similar Premier League example after a limp squaring up of heads between Ricardo Fuller and John Pantsil, uh, with the latter ending up on the deck. Um, But I don't think anyone has ever gained such fame for their gaffe as Fostervold. He was subject to to many TV interviews in Norway some years later about the incident, which he now takes in good humour. And of course, he had the John Carew parody. I don't know whether you ever knew Fostervold as a player, Arthur. You suggested you you probably hadn't. He he did actually play in England for a short while. Um, Wow! He joined Grimsby. Oh,
0: yes, of course. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I thought you might have tracked the career of Lenny Lawrence as manager, but he he brought in a number of foreign imports. And a friend of the show and Grimsby fan Chris Kelly described him for me as by no means the quickest, Foster Vault this is, (laughs) but a solid enough all-rounder who did okay for us during our time in the second tier. And Chris also points out Knut's unusual post-playing career He's now a professional cyclist. He uh, he won medals at the 2005 and 2007, and in fact, 2006. I could have said all those years. Norwegian <laughs> Time Trial Championships. And he represented his nation at the World Championship. So wow. a man of many talents, acting one of them.
0: Well, I imagine being a juggernaut probably helps with the cycling. Um, so, mm. yeah, good to have him in an eleven. I'm just wondering, how does it, because I haven't actually seen this one, so I'll have to watch it myself. But um, comparing it to Rivaldo, for example, that's another one of the iconic dives that springs to mind. I mean, that was, I, I just think there's something incredible about the, the delay. I mean, yeah. it's not, I think the delay is what makes it as phenomenal dive if, if there was no delay it would still be theatrical but it's the it's the dramatic pause
1: <laughs> I think what's remarkable about the Rivaldo one is that the ball clearly hits him just above the knee <laughs> and he goes down clutching his face as if he's <laughs> endured some sort of punch it's, it's quite incredible and um, Fostervold does at least clutch the right body part um, okay but it's equally as artistic I would say
0: phenomenal that's really really good also he played for a youth team called rival which Mm. i quite enjoyed
1: yeah worthy of an inclusion for that alone Um, and who's alongside him arthur maybe someone we've heard of
0: uh unlikely ah it's festus bays (laughs) (laughs) oh of course
1: it's festus bays yes (laughs)
0: Yes, that infamous Nigerian-born Hong Kong international. <laughs> um, also, he possibly you could describe as diminutive. He was a okay. five-foot-eight-tall centre-back. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see the range of height in this back five. He would make headlines in 2011 when playing for Hong Kong-based side Citizen uh, when he scored an own goal that was so spectacular, it would turn him into an internet sensation. Possibly one of the first viral own goal videos. Um, it's just fantastic. When playing in the Hong Kong... I'm when so play... sorry, I've just seen it.
1: What, yeah. what is going on?
0: <laughs> it's outrageous. It's honestly... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's hard to describe, but I'm going to do my very best. But I, 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 as with most of these nominations, please do head to YouTube or any other streaming platform and find it for yourself. This has over five and a half million views on YouTube. Um, when he was playing in the Hong Kong First Division uh, against Sun High SC, he basically attempts to acrobatically clear the ball from his own box Uh, And instead of clearing the danger, the ball rockets into the air and sails over everyone, including the goalkeeper's head, uh, before landing in the back of the net. To add to the comedy, he remained on his back in the penalty area, staring up at the sky in complete disbelief. And the most incredible thing is the contact he makes, which has subsequently been described as a reverse scorpion kick. So it's essentially over his head, he backheels it from outside the box um, and it's just phenomenal like do you reckon you could do that even if you tried Ben no not a chance
1: I was gonna <laughs> say it almost defies the laws of gravity it is beautiful the scorpion kit from Festus Bay is um, do you think it's
0: fair to say it would be one of the greatest goals of all time if it was in the right net
1: I think it's a hundred percent. Fair to say that I can't imagine you'd do anything but but stand and clap, even if that yeah, was an yeah. own goal for your side. It's it's
0: super. It's it, I think it's superior to Giroud's various goals, and he scored some absolute bangers. I'm fascinated
1: um, to know more about this Festus Bay's character, though the the five for eight defender who was born in Nigeria but represented Hong Kong. How did that come about?
0: Yeah, I'm not actually. I don't know an awful lot about him. There's not so much history behind the man, but I do know he made. 28 appearances for Hong Kong after moving there when he was younger. Uh, He became naturalized. And in those 28 appearances, two of which were against China, he impressed sufficiently enough to earn a late career move to Guizhou Hengfeng. And he played two seasons in the Chinese Super League. Uh, So he wasn't a bad player at all. I I think there's a certain beauty behind what a known goal can do for your profile because this was a a relatively unheard of player. But I think there's a lot of football anoraks who will hear the name Festus Bays and go, Oh, Festus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a moment he brought. I mean, I guess play. that does raise the question, you know, he he was playing for the likes of Mutual in Hong Kong yeah. and South China and Citizen. You know, this was an, uh, an inglorious career. But do you think in a way you would almost feel more accomplished if people did know who you were, even if it was because of this spectacular own goal?
0: Well, I think there's a difficulty here because, I mean, Bays afterwards said it was a beautiful goal, but a painful one. So many people have been calling me about this. It's funny, but it's terrible too. It's the first time I've scored an own goal. So there he is himself saying he's got notoriety for it. But obviously, it's for a bad thing. And actually, our right back is also known for that. And I'll go on to sort of oh, tell wow. you about him in a bit. But it's, it's that kind of mix of satisfaction at being known. But also, it's not for a good thing. Yeah. So you want to be known. I mean, it's, it's tough, really.
1: Wow, I feel like our listeners and we as coaches are really going to have to sort of huddle around this defence because there's going to be nerves are jangling every time they step out onto the field. What's going to happen next? Um, And particularly with our third and final centre-back. Arthur, this is someone you will know. It's Joss Hoyvelt.
0: Yes, big Joss. Such a big fan of him. He's such a great, great guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, a, a six foot four Amazonian centre back from the Netherlands, um, an alumnus of Celtic, Southampton, Norwich, and Millwall, as well as a host of C list European clubs. What, what was your recollection of Big Joss?
0: He was a very amiable guy, a sort of mm-hmm. gentle giant who had arrived from Celtic initially on loan, and then he. He basically became a solid, solid championship defender, only to be slightly shown up in the Premier League when the level got really high. But I remember him as a pretty reliable centre-back in general. I mean, some very strong moments of of nervousness, but he became known, I think, at Saints for scoring on, I don't know whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday nights, but he, he had a habit of Tuesday or Wednesday nights under lights, scoring great goals or big headers usually.
1: It was an absolutely incredible record he had. Um, He scored seven championship goals for the Saints. Um, And the bizarre correlation, like you said, was that five of those seven goals came on a Tuesday night, (laughs) which is an incredible percentage. I I just don't know how that's even possible. Um, but, But interesting to know that you describe him as reliable. I think that is fair from everything I've read about Joss. I think he was a very decent defender at championship level, but at Premier League level, he became an own goal machine. (laughs) Um, Not necessarily a scorer of horrific own goals, not of the ilk of Festus Bays. Um, More of the kind of unfortunate, almost kind of quite, you you almost feel sorry for the bloke. Um, The best example I have of this was Danny Fox's clearance into his unsuspecting face against Newcastle and again another indicator of this propensity he had to score Premier League own goals in fact he was second to none Hoyveld scored four own goals in just 28 games including three in one season so that's a rate of an own goal every seven
0: games oh my god
1: that is remarkable <laughs> Wow Asked about the own goals in an interview with The Athletic Hoyfeld said It is a bit laughable I wish I didn't make them fair enough But I always make the joke That if you told me my first Premier League goal Would be for Arsenal Then I would have said that was pretty good going <laughs> <laughs> so, despite being error prone um it was easy to see why joss remained popular um he was a prankster and a lovable character off the pitch in his opening interview having been unveiled as a southampton player he was asked what do you know about southampton and responded i've heard there's palm trees it's a tropical paradise in england um, and he'd always been in the thick of the joke, sometimes randomly going and joining the strikers in training, as he reckoned he was a much better finisher than all of them put together. So um,
0: I'm oh, glad you fondly remember. Well, a goal to... every seven games. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty uh... <laughs>
1: Maybe at had a point. Maybe if you could just uh, get Danny Fox to whip them into his face at the right <laughs> end, then uh, you'd have been yeah. onto something.
0: I'm so, so pleased, Ben. You've got Jos Heuvelt in the lineup today. Delighted. Uh, and joining him on the right side of the fence. Is Chris Brass?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm so chuffed. Welcome, Chris. I know exactly which own goal you're talking about, and it's a beauty. I,
0: I mean, this is this is one of those kind of situations <laughs> that I was referring to earlier because this is a player who only actually really played lower league football, yeah. Um, but he's known by the football community for this. Just, I mean, it's it's scarcely believable. Again. Um, he, he basically, I mean, this goal is prolific on bloopers compilations. Uh, he was playing for relegation-threatened League Two side Berry at Darlington, uh, and he tries to clear the ball, but boots the ball into his own head, um, <laughs> almost breaking his nose and firing it past a helpless, yes, Casper Schmeichel, uh, who was on loan from Man City at the time. Um, Brass had broken his nose before um and it had begun to affect his breathing. Um, the the athletic interviewed him and he said, I heard the I heard the crunch of bones and thought, I'd broken my nose again. It was bleeding. I knew I'd broken it. I opened my eyes to see Casper gesturing at me. I'd found the back of the net. The thing is, I actually ended up doing myself a favor. Due to the previous breaks, I lost cartilage and been told a few times I needed an operation to clear my airways. But the impact straightened it up, cleared my airways. Happy days. It saved me some money on cosmetic surgery.
1: (laughs) This is ridiculous.
0: (laughs) He loved it. Um, Fortunately, Barry would win the game 3-2 and ultimately stay up. But it was a pretty chastening experience for brass. Uh, The stadium big screen kept playing the goal on repeat. Uh, He could hear laughter around the stadium. He said, in the space of 24 hours, I was getting texts from so many people. It was on Sky Sports show Goals on Sunday. One of the presenters, Chris Kamara, was falling off the couch. Another of their programmes, Soccer AM, has dined out on it a few times. It was voted the number one incident in magazine 442's It Shouldn't Happen to a Footballer. It's one of those incidents that's just, just incredibly hard to live down. And yeah. You've got to kind of laugh at yourself, maybe in the same way as Joss was able to do about the Arsenal goal. You've got to be able to sort of put on a brave face. And if you laugh about it, maybe people will forget about it. I mean,
1: I suppose this was inevitable with the own goals and gaffes 11. But I'm becoming increasingly concerned about balls in from the right hand side <laughs> where we've got attacking it, Joss Hoyvelt. Festus Bays and Chris Brass. I mean, that is a recipe for disaster, is it not?
0: So you're so you're saying that Kieran Gibbs is a very reliable presence. He's gonna I think he's going to gonna gonna have, have leg to leg shut
1: leg. them out um, on the right side because yeah. the biggest risk with him is that, that Andre Marin is refereeing.
0: I think we've got to make sure we put a little veto on him refereeing this game. We'll bring, <laughs> in, we'll bring in Graham Pohl. He should do it. Oh, no, no. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh man. <Our> only <laughs> chance. Ruined.
0: Yeah. But away from the ridicule, he is a player that's fondly remembered at Burnley, where he played 142 times at both right back and centre back. Um, he wasn't skillful or particularly technical, but he was unafraid to put his body on the line and work his socks off, which you can't fault a player for. He went on to captain and player manage York City, too, at just 27. Um, And he's now in a senior recruitment role At Nottingham Forest So uh, hats off to to the lad For forging a career in football After a truly chastening experience You have to say
1: And he has a free-flowing airway What a man
2: (laughs) A freakish own goal from Chris Brass Got them going Ronaldinho Watch and learn
0: Right, a little bit of light relief from our musings on gaffes and really, really big blunders.
1: I love the fact that we have to refer to this middle section as light relief now. We're We're so concerned that we're just dragging our listeners through stat after stat.
0: I mean, if you've made it this far, then I think you deserve a pat on the back. So uh, here's some entertainment for you. <laughs> this is like
1: when the the match gets over 25 degrees and there's like a compulsory <laughs> drinks break. We, yeah. we just really feel like you can't go the whole hog without having some form of break.
0: <laughs> but aren't you grateful for it? I wanted to give a nod to the fact that gaffes don't just happen on the pitch. They make their way into post-match press conferences and punditry in their droves. And I've dug up some of my favourites. And Ben, I'd like you to try and identify the culprit in each instance. So your first quote is, If you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell the difference between the two sides. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Nigel Adkins, Brian McDermott, or Phil Brown?
1: Oh, wow. That feels like someone who's kind of very much a middling Premier League manager. The sort that might sign kind of Camille Zayat. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Phil Brown.
0: <laughs> well, he is the sort that might sign Camel Zayat, and it is correct. Well yes. done. Love that. One for Ben. Uh the second one is if you don't believe you can win, what's the point in getting out of bed at the end of the day?
1: <laughs> wow, that's uh that's Got a slightly depressing kind of feel to it.
0: Yeah, but also, why would you get out of bed at the end of the day?
1: Oh gosh, even <laughs> I didn't spot that. Wow.
0: Tony Mowbray, Neville Southall, or Alex Ferguson?
1: I think that's Tony Mowbray.
0: I'm afraid it's Neville. What's oh. that That's got Southall written all over it. Your next one, and this is a bit of a nod to uh, to you. Hmm. Reading won't have the confidence to be confident.
1: <laughs> Surely, no one said that.
0: Is that Merson, Crooks, or Kamara?
1: Oh wow! Um, I would say Paul Merson for that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's just a bit of a bit of an idiot, isn't he?
1: <laughs> that is incredible. You actually use the word twice in that sentence.
0: Exactly. My parents have been there for me ever since I was about seven. <laughs> Oh dear. Is that Agbonlahor, Lahore, Vassell or Beckham?
1: Oh man, we talked about Vassell on the podcast before and that never sort of came up. Agbon Lahore's now on, on radio. I- I'll go with Beckham for that.
0: Very good. You've got three out of four, Ben. You're, nice. you're flying along. Your next one is not to win is guttering.
1: Oh yes. Oh man. That. I've got I've got a really clear image in my mind of Joris Akore saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I'm gonna give you three West Ham players to choose oh, okay. from. it's it? not Joris. Noble, Nolan, or Rice.
1: Guttering. Um, rice.
0: It's noble. Oh, Classic Ham. Nobes. Mr. Classic West Ham. Nobes. Uh, and the final one is. I can see the carrot at the end of the tunnel. Oh. Is that Barton, Roy Keane, or Pierce?
1: I think it's Stuart Pierce.
0: You smashed it. Oh. Really, really good. That's four out of six. Cracking effort. Really, really good. I actually do quite like that Piercian wisdom at the end there. It's yeah. kind of like, is a bear Catholic? You know, like the mixing up oh, the two. Yeah. I mean, if you did better than four, you can take Ben's place on this podcast. (laughs) So do let us know.
1: (laughs) You too could enjoy the light relief of this (laughs) entertainment for us. It's just stat after stat this podcast.
0: And now quote after quote. That's Mm. just how we roll. So there is a phrase
1: to drop a bollock and i'm gonna insist that we now crown a new phrase to drop a pollock so jamie pollock is our first center midfielder in our own goals and Gaffs 11 yes
0: this is another one who basically i only know because of this incident Mm. i can't wait to hear you tell the story
1: it is an own goal um Pollock was a combative midfielder uh, with a relatively short career between 1990 and 2002. He played Premier League football for Borough, Bolton Wanderers and Man City, um, and he also won more than 300 appearances in the Football League, appearing for Crystal Palace and Birmingham City, as well as a short spell in La Liga with Osasuna. (laughs) Didn't know that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He proved as a youngster um, that he had great ability. He was occasionally brilliant in the heart of the midfield. So he felt like a super signing when he joined Man City in March 1998 with the club third from bottom in Division One. They were facing eight games to save themselves from a humiliating relegation to the third tier for the first time in their history incredible to think that City were in this position only sort of 30 years ago his determined spirit in centre midfield brought City back from the brink under Joe Royal helping the Blues to the point of salvation it was on the horizon they just needed two wins from their final two games to keep themselves up but then disaster Pollock scored an own goal of epic proportions in the penultimate game of the season. It was against Queen's Park Rangers, who were fellow relegation battlers. Pollock spectacularly flipped the ball over an opposing player before sending a looping header over his own goalkeeper. It was poetry in motion, Arthur. Perfection, the silk of Bergkamp, but at the wrong end and the own goal condemned Man City to relegation to the third tier for the first time, keeping QPR in the league. Uh, I can't think of a goal that was so spectacular and had such an influence on the league positions, and to do it at the wrong end is just remarkable, really.
0: I mean, it's got a sort of air of letitia about it with the flick over the head. I mean, you know, oh, it's it's glorious. The man... Clearly should have been a striker and he was showing his frustration out to his own team by (laughs) by showing what could be done. But he was just at the wrong end of the field.
1: I really feel for Pollock. Um, As a result of this disaster stroke, uh, a group of QPR fans thanked him by voting him the most influential man of the past 2000 years in an Internet poll. Um, this was a poll, incidentally, where Jesus came second. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just really feel for Jamie Pollock. I think personally, though, what made this goal even more special was this commentary. Let's take a listen. Rangers getting forward with David Bardsley. Down the right, a hopeful ball in by him. Should be cut out by Pollock and was quite comfortably. but. The-
2: City relegated Jamie Pollock has scored an
1: inexplicable own goal. He seemed to have the situation under control here, but the looping header over Margotson and into the back of his own net. I just just don't know what. If you were listening back to that, Arthur, your head would be in your hands. Poor Jamie.
0: Also, I think it's probably noteworthy to tell the listeners that he is the son of Jackson Pollock, the um. The artist. No. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) Okay. I was (laughs) gonna say, (laughs) sorry, in all your research, Ben, you didn't find that out.
1: What a remarkable bit of research,
0: Arthur's just done. Has he phoned him? (laughs) Incredible. His own son. He (laughs) phoned him as soon as he realised that he missed the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Some forty years after his death, or something. I don't know. Wow. Jamie, son of
1: Jackson, he became a cult hero for all the wrong reasons. Um, And when you look at Man City's success these days, his hand in relegating them to Division Three is the ultimate juxtaposition and it's for that reason I thought he deserved a place in our midfield
0: and alongside him is Steve Morrow
1: oh Steve Steve Morrow are are we, are we talking the the FA Cup incident here
0: yes Arsenal beat Sheffield Wednesday in the finals of both the FA Cup and League Cup in 1993 And Steve Morrow was the man who was the hero in the latter. He scored the winning goal at Wembley. Uh, And in the match, um, out of interest, they became the first sides in Europe to wear squad numbers and names on the back of their shirts. Um, But that, of course, isn't the reason this match lives long in the memory. Um, When the final whistle sounded, Gunners (laughs) captain Tony Adams lifted or attempted to lift the midfielder onto his shoulders, but he dropped him. And Morrow, very sadly, broke his arm in the melee. (laughs) Uh, He was rushed to hospital, strapped with an oxygen mask as he left the pitch, um, while his teammates went up the Wembley steps to collect the cup. Um, Adams actually arrived at the hospital with a crate of champagne for Morrow. Steve said, I guess the notoriety you get from an incident like that has its upsides. I don't have any regrets about it. Tony and I still joke about it when we see each other. So it's probably cemented their friendship, if anything, and it probably answers your query earlier as to why, you know, whether an incident on this kind of scale is a a net positive. I mean, it was a bit of a humiliating moment for him. Obviously, when you're celebrating your success, you don't want to break your arm. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bit of a nightmare if then. you
1: did wouldn't it um, but there's just that that unbelievably iconic image now of him kind of like a quivering wreck sat yeah. on the floor holding his arm his sort of limp arm and all his teammates looking at him in despair and I think there's one as well of him holding the trophy in his hospital bed yeah cast on um it's it's kind of become synonymous really with that cup triumph
0: Absolutely. And obviously, given the era we're talking about, it's only natural that Bedeal and Skinner got involved on their fantasy football programme. Uh, they essentially mock reconstructed uh, the incident. They also have him taking helium instead of oxygen, <laughs> uh, and that makes his Northern Irish accent hilariously high. Uh, they also mock that Martin Keown blocks people's view of the incident, Uh, And they say that makes it a little bit less dramatic. So you don't actually see him hit the ground. You just suddenly pan to his writhing in agony uh, and then subsequent trip to the hospital. He went on to QPR uh, before finishing his career in the States with Dallas Byrne, who who would go on to briefly manage. 39 caps for Northern Ireland prove he wasn't a bad player. Actually, he once pocketed live wire Gianfranco Zola, then of Parma, in the 1994 European Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, So he was clearly a a reasonable player. He's actually, off the field, been incredibly successful since he retired. From 2014, he worked as Arsenal's head of youth development uh, during a period that saw the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson, Saka, Willock and Ketia, all of that kind of generation come through. And they've proved to be the the sort of genesis of a really exciting new generation of football for Arsenal. He actually left Arsenal in 2019 and he's now at the FA. Go Steve. But it's this incident, not his slightly unremarkable career that, that people will remember him for. And I suppose, you know, when it's something that's, Clearly a gaff. I mean, a, I, it, the gaff is largely on Tony Adams for not having the strength to hold up Steve Morrow, but <laughs> it must have been a bit humiliating for him. And I suppose the living in people's memory thing, it's when it's when it's something like this, you're probably a bit less sad for it to be remembered than you would be if it's an own goal, because that is properly humiliating an own goal. Yeah. Whereas this was just a quite silly incident, really, wasn't it?
1: It really was. Uh, I was pleased to see that Steve Morrow's time at Arsenal had led to real success really in the academy. I had worried reading his profile that his initial job post-playing um, at the club was a bit of a pity position as he was put in, in charge of international partnerships <laughs> with B C Tiro of Thailand and Hung Angia Lai of Vietnam and I don't know about you, Arthur, but I don't think they're particularly strong club links, are they, with Arsenal? We don't see many players coming through from Vietnam.
0: No, we don't. I do wonder: do they have any Rwandan clubs linked with them at they're the moment? Certainly
1: sponsored by Visit Rwanda, yeah. aren't they? That's quite interesting. surely.
0: Surely there, a there must be some sort of. League? There's got to be some sort of Arsenal Rwanda feeder club or something. Surely,
1: I'm going to look up if there is a Rwandan league. There must be, surely. There is. Yes. There's a team called Gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> they played Sunrise yesterday. <laughs> Gorilla <Which I> think... <laughs> Sunrise. Yeah. Oh fantastic. Well, this is something to do more research into off the back of this
0: podcast. Um, Absolutely. Join us next week for our Rwandan Football 11. 11. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. Let's step slightly ahead of Steve Morrow into our attacking midfield berth, filled now by David Dunn.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. And I I love that. And I know exactly what it's for. And it's just a brilliant gif.
1: I actually thought David Dunn was a cracking player. Absolutely. Like sublimely technical on his day. Probably not the fittest, but he let the ball do the work expertly. And he scored his fair few goals in his pomp. 67 career goals including seven eight and nine goal seasons in the premier league uh, he was once dubbed the new gaza although he only ended up winning one england cap so i don't think he really fulfilled that potential maybe another for our 11 oh Arthur. oh, the, oh um, look at,
0: look who's mentioning it now yeah
1: the unfulfilled potential 11 what do you think what do you <laughs> think Arthur?
0: absolutely
1: But sadly, um, I think Dunn will now be known for the time he ungracefully stacked it when Birmingham took on Aston Villa in 2003. Planet Football expertly describes it as follows The daddy of all shit Rabonas, the king of the hill when it comes to miserable attempts at looking flash. Dunn was playing for Birmingham in the derby against Villa. He saw the opportunity to get the ball into the box. He swung his right foot round the back of his left, and well, it was tragicomic. In 2015, he told The Independent, Unfortunately, my little boy is seven, and all his mates constantly take the piss out of me in the garden with it. I'd say, I had a reasonably good career, and it's just a shame all you're remembered for is a stupid trick you tried. The worst thing for me was when I went into Curry's in Blackburn once, and I must have seen about 100 TVs on the wall and thought, bloody hell, I'm on every TV. <laughs> and I love that that assessment, Arthur, was actually in an article titled Nine of the Shittest Rabona Attempts of All Time. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that, that there's more so than good. one is great. But um, yeah, I think David Dunn's definitely the most famous of them all.
0: A shit Rabona sounds horrible. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, Yeah.
2: thought of it like that.
0: (laughs) Nasty. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Blackburn Rovers legend. Um, Funny enough, it's one of those weird ones where, yes, he is a Blackburn Rovers legend, but I genuinely do picture him in a Birmingham City shirt. I don't know why. It
1: it could be because of that clip.
0: Oh, yeah. So literally, it's 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 tied him to a club simply because of that gaff. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Um, Poor guy.
1: it's one of a category of gaff, I would say, this Rabona fail. Uh, the, the kind of the failed attempt at X, I'd categorise sort of Balotelli's backheel miss against that A-Galaxy in there. Aww. Maybe Adamola Lookman's awful Penenka. Um, Martin Braithwaite's excruciating the awkward player reveal showcase where he couldn't do keepy-uppies. It's in yeah. that kind of ilk. Um, but I think David Dunn's is the most famous of that ilk. And I don't think it helps that throughout the sort of tail end of his career, I don't want to say he became a joke, but he became a star of more than just that Rabona fail. There was, of course, also the Venkis chicken commercial where he and some of his Blackburn teammates were tasked with tucking into nine plates of chicken wings to advertise the owner's products. It was, it was filmed in the changing rooms at Blackburn. I think we have mentioned this video before, supposedly pre-game. So a very bizarre thing to be doing pre-game, eating fried chicken. Um, and as well as the bizarre sight of Ryan Nelson licking his lips, we also see David Dunn having his chicken wings pinched by Jason Roberts and Morton <laughs> Gamps Pedersen. Um, but he actually acts it pretty well. I think maybe there's a career in advertisements for David Dunn if he wants it especially as he seemed to be really enjoying the chicken and co-star Michelle Salgado subsequently told 442 it was disgusting I'm not (laughs) a big fan of spices and sauces and I think I came off worse when we filmed the advert I had to pretend to love it but the truth is one bite and my stomach was in knots
0: what a bizarre thing yeah Weird. Absolutely bizarre.
2: Flips it central for David Dogg. David Don equalises. It just had to be.
0: Cometh the hour. Cometh the man. Up front, it's Chris Iwolumo.
2: Oh, man.
1: I cringe when I think of that miss.
0: Ah, Chris. What a bloody miss. Chris uh, we, 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 I think we'll get to the miss in a little bit. But first things first, we have to commend Chris, I think, for a pretty damn good career everywhere other than at the highest level. He'd been steady but not prolific at Stoke City in Leagues 2 and 1 uh, before making a very random move to Bundesliga's Vi with Alemania Aachen. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. No goals there, prompting a move back to England. But his big break he got with League One side Colchester. Mm. Um, there he banged in 17 goals in a promotion season before following it up with 18 the next in the Championship. Uh, he formed a formidable partnership with Jamie Curiton. One of my first memories of Football Manager was spent at my friend Stephen's house. You know Stephen, he's a Reading fan. Yeah, I um, We worked collaboratively on Football Manager to fire Colchester United to glory, and we managed it. They got to the Premier League, great times, but um, that was Chris. That was all Chris is doing. What a man. Double figures for goals in the Championship over the next two seasons, uh, with Charlton and then Wolves, gave him his first crack at the Premier League, and that was with the latter, And as so often is the case, um, I think injuries are at fault to an extent for his lack of goals in the Premier League. Uh, He had a couple of really, really bad ones, meaning he was limited only to substitute appearances via a loan back to the Championship. Uh, He didn't score. Indeed, he left Wolves having just scored once in 18 months. Not ideal. (laughs) Poor Chris. Uh, A bit of a tumble, but so to the miss, Honestly, a true footballing gaffe. In October 2008, he came on as a 57th minute substitute in a World Cup qualifier against Norway. And that was his debut. But his performance was overshadowed by just an incredible open goal miss from three (laughs) yards. The match obviously finished nil-nil, almost adding insult to injury. You know, if they'd won the game, fine. Or even if they'd scored, fine. But no, they didn't. Uh, it's just squared perfectly for him. Goalkeeper nowhere to be seen. Um, the only issue here is he wanted to strike it right-footed so much when sweeping it in with his left foot would have been perfect. And, and it's just hideous. You, you, must, you must know it well then. I don't, know, I don't know why you in particular. But... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was
1: unaware I had such a reputation um, <laughs> in my sort of one game every blue moon with the uh, Met society. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I feel for Chris Iwiluma because, again, I think he's a player whose reputation has been somewhat shattered by one moment. I noticed that in some of the articles post the miss, he did say that, he was just grateful that he wasn't english because he felt he'd got less abuse from the scottish fans than he would have got from the english fans which you know I, I appreciate we've got two english guys here taking the piss out of him which probably isn't helping <laughs> that, that kind of feeling towards the english but um yeah a, a decent striker i just i just feel so sorry for him that that, that yeah. one moment uh, and he and he blew it
0: A few clarifications. Um, I believe I've spent most of this segment actually praising his career. So um, no piss taking from me. I just feel sorry for him uh, more than anything else. And secondly, he actually, I read, uh, said he was happy to be playing in England at the time because it took him away from the attention he would have got from the Scottish media at the time. So he was quite pleased with that. And it actually just came at such a bizarre moment. He was scoring rafts of goals for Wolves in the championship, which made it all the the more bizarre. He said, it's one of those things that haunts you. It was the highest and lowest moment of my career rolled into one. I got to go out and represent my country, but then I got that miss on my debut. So it's a really, really bittersweet moment, probably a bit more bitter, but when he goes back and looks at it, he'll think, actually, you know what? I did make my debut for my country and that's a pretty cool thing. So he only actually made two more appearances, only three for his country, but all round, I would say pretty decent player.
1: Yeah, a decent player. And I think it bodes well, really, in this own goals and gaffes 11, if we've got someone that we think is going (laughs) to miss in absolutely horrific fashion every now and then, but also be a decent presence up front.
0: Yeah. In fact, I mean, maybe the defenders would score more goals. So we just put him at, yeah. we, we, we move five for eight Festus Bays up, up front. I think that would be
1: sensible actually. Yeah,
0: him scoring those scorpion kicks in, in the yeah. right goal. And uh, and we put big Chris Walumu at centre-back.
1: Maybe that would work better. Maybe that's where we're getting this wrong with this team. Um, <laughs> but I feel like Chris's strike partner is also a player I'd rank as half decent. It's Juan Pablo Angel.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was very good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I actually he loved him. I thought he was great.
0: When did he gaff?
1: Well, actually several times, as it turns out, he was so distinctive and very much in the 11 sweet spot. And I thought he was really good. Um, he was instantly recognisable in his playing days with shoulder length, dark hair, which he regularly paired with an Alice band to keep it out of his face uh, and he arrived at Aston Villa, having only had prior experience in South America. He'd been a prolific goalscorer there, and he was seen as River Plate's replacement for Hernan Crespo. He did wow. over—he did actually okay over here too. You'd have to say he had two double-figure returns in his seven Premier League seasons. But he racked up 62 goals in English football in total. He was signed for a club record 9.5 million pounds, though, in 2001. Um, And he did initially flatter to deceive, but his effort was never in question. He would run his socks off. And when the goals started flowing, he became a fan favourite. So why is he in the own goals and gaps 11? Well, it's because of his diabolical penalty taking record. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think penalties are kind of seen as an obvious chance to score and any penalty miss is a bit of a howler. But to miss so consistently as Juan Pablo Angel is nothing short of spectacular. He scored just five of his 10 Premier League penalties, which means he's officially the worst of any penalty taker to have taken at least 10 in the top flight. And this record was brought into particular focus in 2005 when Angel endured a woeful spell in his career. In a one-all draw against Fulham, Angel missed not one, but two penalties in the same game, denying his side three points. But not content with that shit show, Angel (laughs) eclipsed it a year later. In another one-all draw against Tottenham this time, Angel missed a penalty and then scored an own goal in the space of a minute.
3: (laughs) In In the the space space of of a minute? minute.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) incredible (laughs) missed the penalty and then within 60 seconds it was in his own net
0: that puts Jonathan Walters to shame
1: I know it's incredible um I I didn't remember Angel in this way I didn't think of him as someone who was prone to a howler but the stats kind of don't lie on this one um and and like we were saying with Abuelumo I think it's good to have someone that we we think is half decent up front so that when they do make these inevitable howlers, we can still put aside out and not feel too ashamed.
0: I don't understand why Juan Pablo Angel's Premier League career was so kind of up and down. Like, he, I mean, his 2003-04 season when he had 16 Premier League goals, 23 goals in all competitions, was preceded by one goal in the league and succeeded by... Seven and then three and then four. Why is that such an outrageous outlier?
1: Yeah, uh, who knows? Ask Juan Pablo. Explain it. He looks completely unrecognisable now, so you'd probably have to be pointed out that it was Juan Pablo Angel yourself. Is it you? Um, gone is the floppy hair. He now looks more like a sort of East London ad exec. But <laughs> if you are in a position where you get introduced to him, do ask him why the outlier.
0: On to up for grabs. We have, of course, got to pick our custodian, our man between the sticks for this 11. And we've got a nomination come in from Richard Cobb. Uh, Richard's a writer, music reviewer and Sunday League stand-up. He's absolutely hilarious. Do head to his Twitter to check out his comedy. And he has sent this nomination in.
3: The goalkeeper I've chosen for... What I think is the, the worst goalkeeping display I've seen in my 30-odd years following football was um, Hibernian's goalkeeper, Zeby Malkowski. So back in 2006, his team, Hibs, were lining up against Hearts in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup. and The winner would be going on to face Gretna, so they'd be heavily favourites to, to have got through in that fixture would be lifting the trophy. Um, turned out Harts did win uh, that fixture and obviously went on to win the cup that year as well two big errors for Markovsky. on the second goal really badly positioned for a free kick um, conceded as near post to uh, a free kick from Paul Hartley that was the second of his three goals that day and the second howler was for the third goal Uh, misjudged the flight of a ball and basically swung and hit the air Jankowski ran past him and scored Um, Markowski had a shocker that day but hearts fans like myself had an amazing day
0: yeah i'll be honest another player i haven't heard of but he sounds like a right lark so uh lovely to hear about him thank you so much for that nomination
1: brilliant love that thank you richard a nomination in from stand-up comedian jacob hawley jacob has some fantastic podcasts on drugs and jacob hawley on love on bbc sounds Um, And you can, of course, check out his monthly column in Metro magazine. Wicked to have him on. Jacob, who's he nominating?
2: Hello, The Eleven Podcast. My name is Jacob Hawley. I'm a comedian, stand-up podcaster, all that bollocks. Anyway, I'm submitting a goalkeeper for your Eleven, um, the man himself, Mr. Dusbin Dave David Ospina. Um, Arsenal had a sort of strange tradition of having sort of bad, small goalkeepers for about 10 years. And Dusbin Dave was the worst of them. And and I know that you're sort of looking for specific own goals and gaffes and stuff like that. There's not really one that, that jumps out. He was just the smallest man in the world for quite a long time. And he had a really strange habit of standing behind his goal line. Like, I, I don't want to get too far into the psychology of the man, but he seemed permanently scared. He had the smallest arms in the Premier League. And to make everything worse, he would stand behind the fucking goal line. Sorry if you're not allowed to swear. And, and it just made it impossible for him to save anything. So, Dustbin, Dave is your man.
1: Another great pick. Of course, head to the poll at 11. Pods, the word, not the number. Arthur, anyone to add?
0: How on earth are we going to follow up two comedians? Not easy. But Peter Enkelman is doing his best.
1: Peter Enkelman. Did Peter Enkelman ever do anything other than that throw-in disaster class?
0: I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) He he could have been in our body 11, except he wasn't really a body on this.
1: That was the problem. If he had have just been a body, this would never have happened.
0: All he needed to do was be there. Uh, That's all he needed. As most will know, he scored a completely avoidable own goal in 2002. It was in a derby game for Aston Villa against Birmingham. Uh, Olof Melberg decided to toss the ball to Enkelman from a throw-in and Peter failed to control the ball, only only crucially managing to get a slight touch, uh, helping it into the back of the net due to the slight contact the goal would stand much to the dismay of his teammates Uh, and manager graham taylor who was i thought fairly harsh (laughs) he said he doesn't know the laws of the game and he's a very (laughs) honest lad his head and hand reaction gave the impression that he had touched it (laughs) oh man Bit harsh. Enkelman refuted that. He said, It should have been the easiest thing in the world to control. But the next thing I knew, I'd missed it and it was in the net. I honestly don't think I touched the ball. I made a blunder and that's it. I know the rules. A throw in cannot go straight in. And that's the crux of this. If he didn't touch it, it wasn't a goal by the letter of the law, but the referee gave it because he touched it. So do we believe Peter or do we believe? well, the referee or Graham Taylor or everyone else in the stadium. I don't know. But it was an absolute clangour, a real gaffe. Um, To make matters worse, a Birmingham fan ran onto the pitch, taunting him, uh, even slapped him round the face, I think. So um, not ideal for poor Peter. But um, yeah, a worthy inclusion between the sticks today, I think.
1: Wow. One of football's great unsolved mysteries, that. Uh, And I just read off his Wikipedia page that his dad is Sven-Goran Enkelman. (laughs) It sounds like it's actually Goran Enkelman. Um, But yeah, yeah, easily misread. What a name. Love that. Welcome, Peter, into the poll. And I will add a Reading player, Ali Alhabzi.
0: Oh, good old Ali. Of course you're adding a Reading player.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. Um, An Omani goalkeeper of extremes. He was sublime on his day, winning matches single-handedly as Reading made it to the playoff final in 1617. In fact, throughout his career, he was a four-time player of the year. In fact, throughout his career, Ali Al-Habzi was a four-time player of the year. That shows you just how good he was when he was on form. But during his spells at Bolton, Wigan and indeed Reading, he also made some horrendous clangers. The worst two, a blunder against Reading for Wigan, the keeper miscuing an attempt to punch Hal Robson-Khan, blocked shot clear from under his crossbar and knocking the ball over his own line. Uh, And a blunder for Reading against Man United. I don't know whether you remember this one, Arthur. An incredible air kick, which allowed Marcus Rashford to nip in and tap into an open goal. That one in the FA Cup. After finishing high school, um, Al habsi was actually a fireman. This was in Muscat. And in an interview with Al Jazeera Sports, he said that his previous profession taught him patience, hard work and patriotism, (laughs) but evidently not the ability to kick a moving ball. So um, I do think Al habsi warrants a place in this vote. I hope he doesn't make the team because he was a better goalkeeper than that. But he's in the fight.
2: Oh, Eckelman's let it through! And that is an extraordinary goal. You will not see a more bizarre one than that. There must have been contact from the throw. No complaint on the goalkeeper, just total, total agony.
0: On the bench, only one name really for me. Um, he should really have been in the eleven on this occasion, but he has been included in a former eleven. So I didn't pick Richard Dunn, mm. despite the fact that he scored 10 own goals yeah. in his Premier League career. That is outrageous.
1: It is. It is outrageous. And I think many people will criticize us, as they always do, for not putting Frank Sinclair in. But again, I kind of feel like he was a poster boy of the own goal, but without ever really being the record holder. And and I kind of feel it's a bit unfair on Frank. I think we need to give him a break and, and highlight the likes of Knut Anders Fosterbold instead. Right, well, this is our team. I hope we've done Danny Baker and Rory McGrath proud. The own goals and gaffes, 11 in goal. It's your choice over to at11pod to vote at the back Kieran Gibbs Knut Anders Fosterbold, Festus Bays Joss Hoyvelt and Chris Brass in the midfield (laughs) what a team in the midfield it's Jamie Pollock Steve Morrow and David Dunn and up front Chris Iwalumo and Juan Pablo
0: Angel. what an 11 I hope you enjoyed the episode see you on the next one